You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY Podcast on Apple Podcasts. We hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Thank you for listening. Hey, well, thanks for joining us this morning, uh, wherever you're at. We know that this is not a conventional way to do church, but uh, we feel like this is an opportunity for really to uh, be good neighbors, to love our neighbors well, uh, because we don't want to put anybody at unnecessary uh, exposure. And also, this opens us up to a, a brand new world of people. If you're used to coming to 119 East Main Street and worshiping with us, then thanks for tuning in this morning. If you're not used to coming to 119 Main Street and worshiping with us, we're glad that you're a part of our stream this morning. And we just uh, we want to say thanks for being here. I also want to say thanks to our, our leadership and our staff for how flexible they have been throughout this week. This has just been a unique week that has presented all sorts of different circumstances that, that we've never led through. Um, honestly, we've never led through a global pandemic. And so we're, we're doing the best that we can, and it's an ever-changing situation. But uh, we appreciate, uh, I appreciate especially the, the staff and the leadership's flexibility. And I appreciate your uh, compassion and understanding as we move forward through the next uh, couple of weeks. With all that said, we're really glad that you're a part of our worship this morning. And today we're going to be continuing with uh, part three of our series, Believe. We're, we're tracking along with the gospel writer John as he journeys with Jesus. And the most important thing for us to, to remember for this, uh, this series, kind of the big idea of this series, is that John did not believe because of what he saw or because of faith. He did not believe, he did not follow Jesus because of, of just a belief in him. He believed because of what he saw and because of what he heard. That's why he followed Jesus. And once he acknowledged that, that Jesus was the Messiah, once he came to that conclusion based on what he saw and what he heard, he placed his faith in Jesus. But he did not follow Jesus because of his faith. He placed his faith in Jesus because of what he saw and because of what he heard. And so then later in his life, he creates his account, this gospel that we have, the gospel of John, around seven events. And these seven events, they're, they're really more signs than they are just events because Jesus's miracles, they weren't random acts of kindness. They weren't just crazy miracles for the sake of having a, a show. They, they pointed to something and specifically they pointed to who Jesus was, who he claimed to be, because Jesus made some outrageous claims about himself. And John would say, I'm just telling you that I, I was there and I wrote all of these things down and, and all of these miracles, all of these crazy things that happened, they weren't random acts of kindness uh, for the sake of being kind. They weren't crazy miracles for the sake of miracles. They all happened and they all had a, they had a significance and they all pointed to something. And looking back at it, I can clearly see that they all pointed to the uniqueness of who Jesus was. And at the end, he comes to this conclusion and Basically, he says, I hope that you all will all arrive at this same conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, we've already looked at the first two of those seven signs. And so this morning we're going to look at the third one. And so if you've got a Bible close by, uh, that, that's great. If the, the scripture is going to be on the screen as well. But we're going to be in John chapter 5. And that's where we're picking up this morning. So, so Jesus is north of Jerusalem. He and his guys, they've just done this incredible thing where, where somebody that they had never met before, that had never met Jesus, this royal official from Capernaum, he comes along and he says, uh, hey, I need you to, Jesus, I need you to go to my home and to heal my son because my son is sick. And if you come to my house, I know that my son will live. And Jesus says, well, I'm not coming to your house. In fact, you can go on home. You can take your time getting back home and your son's going to be okay. He, he's going to live. And so this, this nobleman, this royal official from Capernaum, he had to make 
the same decision that many of us have had to make 2,000 years later. He had to decide whether he could trust Jesus, even though he'd only heard about him. He'd never met him until this point. He had to decide if he could trust that what Jesus said was true. And it's the same thing that we've been making that decision for for the last 2,000 years, is that we have to decide whether or not we can trust what Jesus, is, what Jesus says is true or not. And so the, the royal official, he goes home, and when he gets home, he finds that his son is healed, and, and Jesus and his disciples, they begin to make their way down to Jerusalem, and that's where we pick up the story today. In John chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 1. It says, Sometime uh, later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews, and now they're in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. And so John is describing this uh, this with great detail. He's describing what the setting is because he'd been there. He, he was there for this event. And so he says there's a great number of disabled people, and they, they used to lie there, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. They, these were the most desperate people. This was the most desperate group of people that you could imagine. It's kind of like going to Walmart right now, and you're out of toilet paper, and you're just looking for, for toilet paper, and you're in this desperate situation. That's what these people, they were in a desperate situation. And you need to understand that in ancient times, doctors were scarce and doctors didn't know a whole lot. And one of the reasons for that is because in the first and second century, Rome had this law that said doctors could not examine a dead body. They could only examine living bodies. And so one of the things that doctors would try and do is that they would try and get to a dying body very quickly, you know, basically quick enough that they could do an autopsy on the body before the body actually died. And I mean, can you imagine living in a world where that's that's what your medical practice is. And so doctors were scarce, and they were also scary. And so only rich people had doctors, and, and most people had to depend on the temples and, and the superstitions, you know, temples because maybe the gods would do something for you uh, by accident. Maybe the priest would have mercy on you. And then superstition. And, and so this story, it actually hinges on superstition. There was a legend that said that in this pool that, that occasionally an angel would show up and it would stir the water. And if you were the first one in, then you would be healed. Now, this pool, it's been excavated, and there was a reservoir they found that fed, into the, that fed water into this pool. But they also discovered that at the bottom of that, there was a natural spring. And so what would probably happen is that occasionally the spring would bubble up. The people around the pool would see the surface of the water begin to be disturbed for no apparent reason. They would assume that it was an angel that, would, that had come down, and they assumed that first person in was going to be healed. Now, if you can imagine that chaos, there is there's the blind and there's the severely handicapped in a way that we would describe it. There are paralyzed people and, and lame people. And, and this, their reaction, their, their medical practice is to say, okay, race. I mean, that's essentially what they believed. If we race to the pool when this water is stirred, that we'll be healed. Can you imagine the tragedy that took place at this, at this pool? I mean, you've got friends who are trying to get their paralyzed friend into a pool of water and when they do they they drop them in the water what happened next they either jumped in and saved them or or that person drowned I mean this was a a very tragic superstition that these people held on to and so Jesus walks into this area and I promise you this is a an area where healthy people would have avoided like the plague because it was like the plague it smelled horrible people were were brought there and they would just lay there all day long and occasionally Maybe, maybe somebody loved that person enough to take them home at, at, at night. But for the most part, this was just a place where they would lay. And I, I kind of imagine it was an area where occasionally the city officials would, would just have to go through and, 
and just kind of sweep for dead bodies and clear the area of those bodies. And Jesus goes to this area, and it says that when he gets there, he finds one who had been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus sees him, and the text says that when Jesus saw the individual, he asked about him. And we don't know why, uh, but Jesus asked about this particular individual, and he learned that he'd been in this condition for a very long time. And Jesus decides that this is an opportunity for a sign. This is an opportunity for him to do something incredible. And so he leans down and he asks this man, this invalid for 38 years, he asks him the strangest question. And I'm going to read you the question, and then I'm going to ask you the question. And it's not the point of the message this morning, but it is such a powerful question that I just feel like we need to get it out there and, and set it out there for some of this. And, and maybe this is why you're, you've tuned in today. Jesus seems to ask what we think it would, would be a silly question. He leans down and he asks the man, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? That's the question that Jesus asked him. It's such a, a strange question. And, and let me just ask you that question. Do you want to get well? Because not everybody does. Not everybody wants to get well. So, some of you have been complaining and complaining and complaining, and, and you're not, you're not, you've not done what it takes to get well. Because you, you know that sometimes getting well is harder than staying sick. Sometimes getting help calls for more hu humility than staying sick. Sometimes staying sick means that you get the things that you want, uh, it, it, you get the things that you won't get if you get well. And so let me just ask you, and then we'll move on, whether it's an actual physical ailment, whether it's a, a spiritual habit that you need to, to drop or, or you need to pick up. Maybe it's a, it's a bad habit that you have that you need to get rid of. Maybe it's an abusive relationship that you're in. Let me just ask you, and, and, and you need to answer this question for yourself in the mirror. Do you want to get well? And again, this isn't just a, a physical healing. And, and maybe the reason you haven't gotten well is because you aren't willing to pay the price because sometimes staying sick, sometimes staying in a habit, sometimes staying in that bad relationship is easier than getting help. This is a powerful question that Jesus asked. Do you want to get well? And here's the thing. If you have the capacity, if you have the potential and the resources, and you live in a world where you can get well, as someone made in the image of God, you honor God, you honor yourself, you, you honor the people that love you, if you will seek out the resources available to you to get well. And I can't promise that there's a, a magic wand that somebody can wave and that all of a sudden you're just going to be better. But I, can't, I can promise you this, if, you're gonna, if, if you need to get well, reach out to our church, whether it's through the comments or, or send us a private message. Um, we'll point you to all the resources that we have. We'll connect you with all of the resources that are at our disposal, and we will help you do your very best to get well. Let's get back to the story. Jesus decides that he's not going to impose his will on this guy. He's, he's going to not just walk up to him and heal him, but he, he asks him this question, do you want to get well? And, and the guy answers, as it turns out, well, he does want to get well. And so this guy, he, he imagine this, he doesn't know who Jesus is. He's never heard of the Son of God. This man is just a stranger to him, and he's staring at him, asking him this question, do you want to get well? And so the, the man replies, well, sir, I, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is, when the water is stirred. You know, basically, while I'm laying, laying here, I notice the water gets stirred, and as I'm trying to get to the water, somebody else gets in before me. And, and so I can't get well. And so Jesus makes a statement to the man. And I, and I think it was kind of a fearful statement. He said, get up. 
Get up. That's what he says. And the Greek is interesting here because it, it, sometimes it's translated wake up. Sometimes it's translated rise up. Sometimes it's translated come to life. But, but he says, get up, rise up. And then what he said next is, is what makes this a sign and not just a random act of kindness. He says to the gentleman, and the gentleman who now realizes that this man is serious, whoever this guy is, he's serious. He says, and by the way, when you get up, pick up your mat and walk. Then it says that at once the man was cured and, and he picked, he stood up and, and he picked up his mat and he walks. He rolls off his mat and, and he walks and he turns around to, to thank Jesus. But as we find out later in the story, Jesus had, had slipped into the crowd. He disappeared. But, but in asking this man to pick up his mat and walk, Jesus has done something that uh, I think he knew was going to happen, but this man certainly didn't anticipate. He is, he's whacked a, a hornet's nest on purpose because the day in which... Jesus cured this man was the Sabbath. Now on the Sabbath in Jerusalem specifically and all the areas around the table, the Pharisees, they're, they're walking around and they're making sure that nobody is violating the laws of the Sabbath. And they see this man and he's, he's got his mat, he's carrying his mat. Not only is he, is he carrying his mat, he's walking towards the temple. He's planning to go into the temple to, to worship God, to thank God for, for this change that has taken place in his life. And you know, he's, it's been probably 38 years since this man has been in the temple. He may have never been in the temple before in his life and this just seems like the place to go because he sees all these people going back and forth to the temple and, and so he's on his way into the temple and the Jewish leaders they see him carrying his mat and the text says that the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed it's the Sabbath the law forbids you to carry your mat that's what they told him they, they didn't say well hey how did you get healed at first what, what they initially their initial reaction to him was hey it's the Sabbath you're breaking the law by carrying your mat. Well, actually, the law didn't forbid him from carrying his mat. Their tradition is what forbid him from carrying their, his mat. The Pharisees, you see, they had all these extra rules that were kind of like a fence around the written law, and so, so nobody would disobey the written law. And so all these extra rules, they had the same authority, at least in their mind, and the same authority and culture as the written law. And in these non-written rules, there were 39 categories of things that you couldn't do on the Sabbath. Not 39 things that you couldn't do but 39 categories of things that you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And one of them was that you could not carry something from one place to another. So in their mind, he's violating the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments, the remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But the point of, the, of that commandment, the, the commandment to remember the Sabbath, it was to take a break from labor, not to take a break from love. The point was to take a break from your occupation. It didn't mean that you were supposed to take a break from compassion. But this is what happens. This is what happens to, to all religious people. This is what happens to certain people in every religion when, when they or when we forget or when we ignore. This is what happens when, when any kind of religious person, when we forget, when we ignore the, the why behind the what. To be more specific and just to maybe bother you a little bit to give you something to think about. This is what happens when defending a theological system. This is what happens when defending a, an ideology. This is what happens when defending a political agenda. This is what happens when defending party loyalty or, or embracing party loyalty takes precedence over the people that these things claim to serve. This is what happens when embracing any of this becomes more important than the people that these things were designed to serve and to benefit. And it's very difficult to see that in the mirror. And I can prove that because most of you that, that just heard that, you would probably agree with what I just said. 
but you immediately begin thinking about the other theological system, about the other ideology, about the other uh, political party. Some of you are probably even thinking, you know, I wish there were more Republicans that were hearing this, or I wish the Democrats would, would hear this. I wish my mother-in-law would hear this, whatever. There's a group of people that, that you think ought to hear that. And here's what Jesus would say. He would say, we all need to look in the mirror. We must all be careful, and most importantly, we must all be honest. Because when what's best for people, when what's best for people is no longer what is most important to you, then you're at odds with God. When, when what's best for people is no longer what's most important to me, I am at odds with God. And the reason I say that is, and the reason I say that is because John, who, who brings us the story of Nicodemus, he interrupts the story earlier to, to bring us Nicodemus' story. He would say, I don't know if Nicodemus ever got it, but let me tell you what Jesus was trying to explain for him. He would say, for God so loved people, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the Jews and the Gentiles and every race and every gender, for every generation. He loved people so much that he would send his son, that he would send our Savior, that he would send my friend Jesus into the world to pay for sin so that everybody could be reconnected with God. God's priority is the race that was made in his image. And anything that I do, anything that I do that, that hurts another person is sin. And anything that I do that, that would distance another person from God is sin. And any theological thing that gets in the way of somebody being treated with dignity is sin. And the reason that that's so appropriate to us is because we can find justification for just about anything. You want justification? Give me your Bible and I can find you a verse or two that I can, I can rip out of context and say, here, this proves your point. Go show this to your boss or go show this to your wife or, or go show this to whoever. Just rip it out of context and line it up with whatever it is that you want to prove your point on. And Jesus came to, to close all of those loopholes, to, to be able to prevent us from being able to rip something out of context and to prove a point. This is so convicting for me. Jesus came to close those loopholes. So let's go back to the story for a moment, because the story continues. It said to the man who had, who had just been healed, it, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to, to carry your mat. It says, but he replied, and I love this. This is so great. He, he's got his mat over his shoulder. He's, he's just kind of getting his legs under him, if you know what I mean. He replied, the, the man, he doesn't even know who it is. He says, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. He says, the reason that I picked up my mat and walked, it wasn't like I was trying to violate the Sabbath day. You know me, you know who I am, you've seen me for the last 38 years. But the reason that I picked up my mat is because a man asked me to pick up my mat and walk. And by the way, guys, while we're talking, I, I opted for, for the guy who was going to heal me. I, I chose him over the guys that have been ignoring me for the last 38 years. For over, I chose him over the guys who've been telling me my whole life that I'm getting what I deserve that have been condemning me because of either a sin that I had or the sin of my parents. So you know what? If, if you're right, if I was getting exactly what I deserved, this guy gave me precisely what I did not deserve. So I chose to pick up my mat and to walk. And so, yeah, I did what he asked me to do. And so the Pharisees, they're, they're, they're a little uh, off put by this. And so they ask a very logical question because they don't know either. They ask the question, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? Who is this man? Because, because actually he's defiled the Sabbath as well. Because if this man has healed you, then, then we have a rule against that. You can't practice medicine on the Sabbath unless it's to save a life. And so we want to know who this guy is because not only have you violated the Sabbath, this man has violated the Sabbath. So give us his name because, you know, we're, we're making a list and, and we're going to go get after him too. 
And so the man, it says, the text goes on, it says, The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped into the crowd. But then it says, then it says, Later, later, Jesus found him at the temple. So Jesus reemerges from the crowd to find this guy, and he says to him, he gives him a very strong warning. This is the warning he says to him. He says, stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. What's this warning really about? Is this kind of a joke that Jesus and this man are, are in on? Hey, hey, I know you've been paralyzed for, for 38 years, and you've not been able to, to carry your mat, so, so you, better, you better stop being paralyzed, or, or something worse is going to happen to you. The Pharisees, they're going to come after you. Is, is that what Jesus is is saying, maybe, but I think there's, I think there's more to it to, than that. I think there's something a little more seriously than that. Remember, Jesus immediately told this guy, hey, pick up your mat and walk, right? But why is he still carrying the mat? I mean, this is later. He, this, he doesn't need that mat anymore, and yet he's still clinging onto the mat. He's clinging onto an old life, to an old system, to an old disease, to an old religion. He's still carrying his mat, but Jesus has healed him. He, he doesn't need that mat anymore. Jesus has given him new life. And the man is, is seemingly too afraid to put that mat down. It's, it's kind of like his security blanket. And so Jesus says, stop sinning. I think he says, get rid of the mat. Let go of the old. Let go of the fear that you have. And that's just the thing. When you recognize who Jesus is, when you recognize that, who, who John recognized that Jesus is, you'll lose your fear of letting go uh, of what you used to have. When you recognize who Jesus is, and for some of you, this is what you really need to hear because you're so bound up by guilt. You hardly ever come to church, but you're still living with the guilt of a religious system that you just can't get past. I'm telling you that when you discover who Jesus is, you will lose your fear of religion, of religious systems, and you'll lose your fear of what you used to have. And so they have this little moment there at the temple, Jesus and this guy. And, and so the guy goes and he, he tells the Pharisees that, that, that it was Jesus who healed him. And I think he still got his mat over his shoulder carrying it as he talks to the Pharisees. And the man went away and the Jewish leaders uh, find that it was Jesus who made him well. And so the text goes on. Here's what it says. It says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, he's violated the Sabbath as well now, according to, to their oral traditions. It says the Jewish leaders... They began to persecute Jesus as well. And, but in his defense, Jesus throws it right back at them. They're, they're persecuting Jesus because he has healed someone on the Sabbath. And so this is what it says. It says, in his defense, Jesus said to them, My father, he's always at work to this very day. In fact, my father, he, he doesn't take a day off. He's, he's working on this day. So he says, so I too am working. God didn't take a day off. And so I'm just being like God. And hey, did you know that God violates your, your traditions, that God violates the Sabbath according to you? And, and so I'm just, I'm just doing what God would do. And he says, and you would do the same thing too. You, if you were in trouble, if you found yourself in some sort of circumstance, you wouldn't wait until tomorrow to pray, to ask for help. You wouldn't, ask, you wouldn't wait till tomorrow to ask somebody else for help. You would violate the Sabbath too. You can't even keep your own laws. And so I'm just being like, being like God because God doesn't take any days off. God is always at work. And so I'm just being like my dad, kind of like father, like son. And that's the statement that really sets the Pharisees off. It says, for this reason, and this is amazing, it says, for this reason, they tried to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, now he's even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Who does he think that he is? Exactly, that's the question. Who does he think that he is? 
When, when he cleanses the temple, we, we talked about that last week. When he cleanses the temple, um, the, the religious leaders, they don't say, hey, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? They say, who do you think you are? And John would say to us that as 21st century seekers, thinkers, and, and coming back and never believed and first time that you've ever heard this, he would say, come on, if you're going to wrestle with anything, don't, don't. Just, just wrestle with this question. Who does he think that he is? Because that's the issue. That's the point. That's why Jesus did what he did, so that people would arrive at, the, at that conclusion without him forcing them into his answer. Who do you think you are? This guy this guy's making himself equal with God. Who would do that? How could you substantiate such a claim? And John would say, just keep following me on this journey because I'm going to show you. And so Jesus says, very truly I say to you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Friends, that's an extraordinary statement by Jesus. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, do you want to know what God is really like? How do you figure that out? Do, do we look into outer space? Do we look at nature? Do we look within? How do we know what God is really like? And Jesus is saying it's simple. Just watch me. Do you know what God would say in a circumstance like this? Jesus says, just listen to me. Do, do you want to know what God would do when confronted with a circumstance like this? Jesus says, just, just follow me. And then he says to, to the religious leaders, look guys, I understand why this is confusing for you because your whole life you've searched the scriptures diligently. And, and these are the scriptures, these are the very scriptures that testify about me, but you have refused to come to me. You have, you have refused me. You have refused to come and have life because of me. Gentlemen, I understand the confusion, but you have opted for the written over the living. You have chosen your interpretation over a living demonstration. Then he would say, gentlemen, I understand up until now you had an excuse. Up until now you had, you had the, the prophets and you, all you had was the wisdom of Solomon and all you had were the sayings of David and all you had were the, the promises of Abraham. I understand, but no more of that. To use John's words, he could, have said, he could have said to them, guys, look, the word has become flesh. All that scripture, it pointed to me and I'm standing in front of you. I am the word standing in front of you. And John would say, that's why I followed Jesus, that's why I believed, because I gazed into the eyes of life. And Jesus, was, Jesus would say, the guessing is over. I am the living commentary on everything that has come before me. All of it has pointed to me, this is your sign. And so for us today, this is why the Gospels, why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are so important. In a world filled with political and moral and religious and ideological ideas and assumptions that are all intention. God made it easy. God made it simple. He showed up. He spoke up. And he was clear. And here's what he was perhaps most clear about. And some of you are going to love this. Some of you are going to hate this. Some of you are, are going to try and argue with this. And some of you are going to try and find an exception to this. And I get all of that. But as it relates to this narrative, this, this narrative that we're talking about today, uh, this healing on the Sabbath, as it relates to, to the religious tension, the, the point is so clear. And if we get this right, I'm telling you, if we get this right, the world changes. That's not hyperbole. If we get this right, the world changes. And that's this, that the you beside you, the you beside you at work, the you beside you in traffic, the you beside you at home, the you beside you in, in your neighborhood, the you beside you right now on both sides of you, in front of maybe or, or even behind you, the you beside you must take priority over the potentially flawed view because we're all wrong about something. We're all wrong about something, so the you beside you must take priority. And I can prove that. 
I can prove it. In fact, if, if you're over 40, you, you had some flawed views in your 20s, didn't you? And you probably think, yeah, like I can't believe I actually believed some of those things, that I thought some of those things. And if you're in your 20s and you're, and you're watching right now, you're like, not me, not me. When, I, when I'm 40, I'm going to have the same views that, that, that I had when, when, I was, when I was 20. And I'm not being critical of this, but I, I just want you to think for a moment. Think about when you were in middle school and, and now you're 20 year old and, and you're going to be a 30 year old and think about when you were in high school and think about the views that, that you had then and, and some of you some, some of those views could have been excused because you didn't have frontal lobe development and, and that's a that's a big deal that's a real thing my, my point is this let's just be honest haven't your views changed haven't your prejudices changed or adjusted haven't you changed your attitude about some things because of some experiences that you had you're like, I didn't like that group of people, but then I met this guy or I met this girl and it was like, you know, I, I've been wrong. Don't we all carry some flawed views about something? I'll be honest with you, this, this week, uh, this COVID-19, I have had to change my views about it. Uh, at first, I didn't think it was really all that big of a deal. I thought it was more hype and hysteria. But, but as the week has gone, I have been wrong about some of those things. And I've had to change my views and so the you beside you has to take priority over the potentially flawed views that we might carry with us. We all carry some flawed views about things. And here's what John would say on behalf of Jesus. And I think this is what Jesus would say on behalf of his father for, for our benefit. That you, that the, the, the living, real flesh and blood person beside you must take, must take priority over the potentially flawed view that you carry around inside of you. Because your views are going to change. But people are people. And they're made in the image of God. And they must take priority over an ever-changing view. You say, Adam, well, what about absolutes? Well, aren't there absolutes? Absolutely. Absolutely, there are absolutes. God is an absolute. And that's what makes this so powerful. Because here's the thing. is I don't always know what to believe. Neither do you. In fact, our beliefs change. I don't always know who to believe. And you don't always know who to believe. But when you read the Gospels, there's one thing that's incredibly clear. We almost always know what love requires of us. And that's enough. We almost always know what love requires of us. So I want to, as, as we close this up, as we wrap this up, I want to leave you with a question. Does your version of religion or politics get in the way of loving people that God loves? If so, then you're at odds with God. But let me get even more specific. Does your version of Christianity get in the way of loving people that God loves. And if it does, then let me just be honest, I think you have the wrong version. Because John, John, the person that brought us this story, would also bring us this idea that no one had ever put to paper before John came along. And John would say in a letter to the church, he would say, God is love. God is love. And so when you get on the wrong side of love, then you are on the wrong side of God. And if your version of religion or politics or anything else gives you permission to mistreat a person, then you're on the wrong side. Does your version of Christianity get in the way of loving people that God loves? Because the power of the gospel is this. Jesus said, I've come to show you how to get it right. I've come to show you how to have life and how to, how to get this right. But here's the deal. Even when you don't get it right, I'm going to pay for your sin of not getting it right. So come and follow me. Man, that's a powerful invitation. Jesus would say, the way that people are going to know that you're my followers is, is by the way that you treat people, by the way that you love people. And there are going to be times when you get it wrong, when, when you're on the wrong side of love. And when you do, I still love you. I will still forgive you. 
I have paid for your sins. So come and follow me and get it right. Man, that's a powerful invitation. And John would would see that and he would hear that firsthand and he would later write he would say I have written all of these things down there were lots more that happened but I've written all of these things down so that you might believe that that future generations might believe and when they come to this this conclusion uh, that, that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God there's only one result of that that they would have life in his name and that's what Jesus offers us when we follow him when we believe in Him, that we would have life in His name. So would you follow Jesus this morning, this week, in the upcoming weeks? Would you take up His invitation to follow Him, to love others, and to love Him? Let me pray for us. Father God, we, we love You. And uh, we're so incredibly thankful for this invitation that You give to us to, to follow You. And Father, um, would you press upon us, and especially in days like today where there's so much uncertainty, um, when, when things are changing, when things seem to, to be evolving faster than we can keep up with, would you, would you press into us the, the importance of loving our neighbors well, that the you beside us would take priority over any, any f- potentially flawed views that we might have. Father, thank you that... Uh, that you, from the very beginning, thought of us and that you would send your Son to die for us so that we might be able to reconnect with you, so that we might be able to have eternal life with you, that we might have life in your name. Thank you for that. Father, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.